What's up, everybody out there in podcast land? This is Tyler. This is Danny. And we're the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. Horror-ish movies? Yeah. <laughs> These have all been on a little bit on the lighter side. Well, I mean, last week's wasn't intentionally on the lighter side. Yeah, it's, it's just a movie from stands. 1931. Right. It's a product of its time. This week, Transylvania 6, 5,000. But before we get there, as I said, we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. So we got to get on our green hits. Honestly, you know, this time around with the sort of Frankenstein theme, the green's been a little bit more on point. I think so. Anyway, green hits. Danny, what am I about to fire up since I actually haven't lit it up for once yet? Oh, no worries. So this week I did stop by our friendly folks over at Flower and picked up a really popular strain, actually probably one of your favorite strains. And I picked up some Montana Silver Tip. Ooh. Yeah. It's also known as, of course, just Silver Tip. But this is a sativa-dominant hybrid, 70-30% split, typically. This was crossed with the classic Granddaddy Purple strain and Super Silver Haze strains. Now, it says this is coveted mostly because of its insanely potent effects that draw from both of its parent strains and its high THC levels. About 26% on average. It said the high is surprisingly well-balanced. I mean, this is one we've brought over several times before. Now, the flavors on this, you'll get some of those berry, pine, and sweet notes. Aromas are mostly the same. And over at Flower, they do have a little descriptor for their terpenes, which is nice. Terpene total is 2.62%, which is pretty nice for Flower. And as far as those terpenes that stand out, we've got linalool at about... 0.2%, myrcene at about 17 one uh, lemonine at about almost a percent, and pinene at about 0.84%. So, I mean, that's pretty nice. So those are the more prominent terpenes in this one. Now, of course, Silvertip, as you mentioned, part of its parent strains, Granddaddy Perp. Oh, shit. So for you, we're going to keep right in that purple family. I brought you some of the more indica-leaning purple nightshade, which near as I can tell, is just a phenotype of GDP. I'm cool with that. Now, I'm not sure what this particular phenotype was bred to focus on what aspect of GDP. So I'm just going to mention that Granddaddy Perp is a famous cross of Mendo Perp, Skunk, and Afghani Kush. More of a grape and berry flavor and aroma. I mean, honestly, at this point, GDP even though in the grand scheme of things is kind of newer at this point for us, it's kind of a staple. You know what I mean? Cause it didn't really come around as a strain until like the early two thousands, but we're still talking about 20 years ago now. Yeah, That's a good point. It ain't as foundational as say like a Maui Wowie or an ATF. Yeah. I mean, there's some that go way back, but if we're talking foundational strains for like where we get a bunch of the boutique strains today, I think GDP has to be listed amongst those. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would agree with that. As far as perp strains, yeah. More dreamy, floaty, not super, super down of an indica, but still in that little indica range for you there. And this one is coming in at, I don't know, like 21% THC. So not the highest, but I was smoking on it all last week, to be honest. I grabbed an eighth of it, and it was kind of my after work go, so... I like it. I'm down. Yeah. It says on Leafly, effects, sleepy, hungry, and relaxed. 
the norm for me. <laughs> no shit. That's our green hits for today. Just a reminder, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash fried squirms for even a dollar a month. You could have been listening to this last week. All patrons get all episodes a week early. It's pretty dope. You get up to that second level. You start getting our Patreon-only episodes. You start hearing our lookbacks as we start going re-through our catalog, re-watching some of these movies for the first time or six, seven years with a lot more movie watching under our belts to sort of see what we think of it now. We've been on a good run, but we're getting some fucking bangers here soon. You're not kidding. Like, you might want to jump on it because... We're about to get close to a slasher run. We're about to get close to the slasher run, which I'm still impressed with what our string that we put together there. Yeah, it was pretty effective. But before our slasher run, we're about to hit. We got the Babadook. We got Babadook. Dead Alive. Bro, Dead Alive is what I'm looking for. Like, Babadook's a fucking fantastic movie. Yeah, but Dead Alive, man. That's gonna be Dead so Alive's going to be great. We might have to introduce that movie to someone and make that one for everybody. That would be fun. I just don't know who we're going to introduce it to yet. But <laughs> we'll figure it out. We got we'll, we'll figure it out. Anyway, like I said, patreon.com slash fried squirms. But with that, once again, kind of fitting, especially on this kind of pseudo-Frankenstein kick. Let's get into the guts and bolts of Transylvania 65000. Guts and bolts. All right, guts and bolts. Who and what went into the making of this movie? Spoiler free. Start off with our spoiler free setup in case you've never heard of this and you want to know what you're getting into before you should go look it up because you should always look up every movie that we talk about because we only talk about good movies. That's true. There's very few movies we've talked about that we wouldn't recommend. You know, honestly, I don't think I can put, like, one hand up and say we've done five bad films. Yeah. We've done maybe two bad films? Two, three tops. And even then, That's like... That's arguable. Even then, there's there's people we could recommend them to. Hmm. Just... Yeah, for sure. So, anyway, Transylvania 65000, in case you don't know what you're getting into, horror comedy... Jeff Goldblum and Ed Beagley Jr. are, you can't see my air quote, but journalists sent to investigate sightings of Frankenstein, who, as we all know, isn't real. (laughs) So what's going on? Time to go to Transylvania to find out. Dun, dun, dun. I like it. Yeah, of course, we do like talking about the cast and crew from week to week. And this week we've got... Director, writer, he's a man who also acts in this film as well, but I am talking about Rudy DeLuca. And as far as his directorial credits, he's also known for Peeping at Times and the television movie from 1980, Pink Lady. Now, I did mention he's a writer on this, and we've actually talked about him once before. Not too long ago, he was a part of the writing team on Dracula Dead and Loving It. We reviewed that back on episode 269. He's also known for helping with the Carol Burnett show from 1973 through 1976, the silent movie High Anxiety, and film starring Ringo Starr, film called Caveman. All right, cinematographer on this is Timoslav Pintar. He's known for the films Double Circle, Carmen, and No Man's Land. We have editor Harry Keller. He's known for Stir Crazy and Stripes, two comedies I'd highly recommend. All right, music was composed. Ooh, Stripes. Yeah, dude. Stir Crazy is another good one, yeah, too. Yeah, Stir Crazy is really good, too. Yeah, I've probably just seen Stripes more often. It, it's funny because we were just talking about Richard Pryor. So. Music was composed by Lee Holdridge. 
A few things of note from him. He is known for composing the music for American Pop, The Beastmaster, which is pretty wild, Splash, Born in East L.A., and the television series from 1987 through 1989, Beauty and the Beast. Born in East L.A., man. That movie is actually really fucking good. Yeah, it is. That movie's hilarious. All right. Special effects was done by Makeup Effect Laboratories. This was produced by Mace Neufeld and Thomas H. Brodick. Production companies on this were Balcor Film Investors, Dow Chemical Company, and, hmm. <laughs> yeah, Jadron Films. The distributor on this was New World Pictures for the 1985 United States theatrical release. Had a release date here in the States on November 8th, 1985. The budget was an estimated $3 million. It grossed about $7.2 million worldwide, which is nice. Tagline for this I have is, for a good time, call Transylvania 65000. <laughs> for a good time. I, it doesn't really fit this movie. No, but, but know, it's, it's fucking funny. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> All right, now we do have quite the cast. Not only that, but this is a bit of trivia is that Rudy DeLuca noted that this is the tallest cast he's ever worked with, let alone directed. Because Jeff Goldblum, is, Ed Beakley... Because Jeff Goldblum... We, did we talk about Gina that ever? Davis. He's like, what, like 6'4"? He's probably close six, to that. 6 maybe? Let's see. Uh, we said that Gina Davis is 6 feet tall. Jeff Goldblum is about 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, I would reckon that Ed Beakley is probably like the same height, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, maybe. So Goldblum 6'4". Gina Davis is six foot even. I think Michael Richards is in that as well. Ed Bagley's six four. Yeah. <clears throat> Jesus, what? I know, that's crazy. He's got a basketball team right here. <laughs> he doesn't look six four. No. Like Goldblum, I can imagine it. I know, but it, if I had to take a cold guess, I wouldn't have guessed he was that, that tall. But Who else were we saying was probably tall? Michael than Richards. Oh, oh, yeah, Michael Richards has to be tall. Right? I would imagine he's probably like close to that height, six three. Yeah, 6'3". Or at least that's what he's listed as. And now that he's an old man, he's probably like 6'1". But still, yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. All right, so leading off, I'm going to go with Jeff Goldblum. Gentleman we've talked about more recently. He does play the role of Jack Wow, Carson. wait. He's not in this movie? Jason Alexander's only 5'5". Five five. Yeah, I know he was short. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was that short. I thought he was just short compared to the rest of them. TV really throws people... I mean, it, it used to throw me off a lot, too, with height. All right. So Jeff Goldblum... Plays the role of Jack Harrison. We talked about him on episode 271 because we talked about The Fly. That's David Cronenberg's, of course. A couple other films of note, I guess, if you want to talk about Goldblum. How about Jurassic Park in 1993? Actually, Earth Girls Are Easy. Earth Girls Are Easy, which completes kind of a trio if we're going to talk about films with him with Ed Beakley and uh, Gina Davis. Mm -hmm. right? So another cool thing is he was in The Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Leonard Nimoy and... Such a good film, Donald Sutherland, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Independence Day, he's also been in you know, such things as like Will and Grace, Capital Studio Sessions, which is really cool. We've even talked about the fact that he's a pianist, so pretty cool stuff there. All right, moving forward, we do have Joseph Bologna plays the role of Dr. Malavakia. A few films of note from this gentleman. He was in My Favorite Year, Blame It on Rio, and he was also in uh, Adam Sandler's Big Daddy, if you can believe that. All right. Ed Beakley Jr. plays the role of Gil Turner. A few films of note from Mr. Beakley. We've got him in such things as This is Spinal Tap from 1984. He was in She Devil, 1989. The Page Master from 94. Pineapple Express. Yeah, dude. 
Batman Forever from 95. Oh, he's fantastic in Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. I Those yeah. are some of my go-to, like, I, I just know. need something. I need to watch something that's going to make me feel good. Those Christopher Guest movies every I was time. Say, I had a, a really, I mean, I still do. I have a really good friend who lives in Charlotte, and he asked me a while back if I was into Christopher Guest films. And at the time, I wasn't familiar. And then I was like, oh, that's the guy who does, like, this is Spinal Tap and, you know. Well, like you were just saying, well, that's best at, show, Spinal Tap's actually Rob Reiner. For right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely but right. But Christopher Guest is in yes. it, of course. Yeah, I was just started thinking about those slew of films. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, these are all funny, especially if you enjoy that kind of humor. So it makes sense. I've still never watched For Your Consideration. I have not seen that one either. All right, so moving forward, we have Carol Kane plays the role of Loopy in this one. I think a lot of people are going to know her for some really cool stuff, right? Uh, Scrooged. Yeah, highly recommend that one if you have not seen it with Bill Murray. Goddamn Bill Murray. <laughs> She's also in A Dog Day Afternoon, another film I highly recommend. She's in Annie Hall, also in The Princess Bride with Billy Crystal. It's really Here's cool. one I just got to bring up. We just recorded the latest episode of General Nerdery two days ago, uh, one of the other podcasts I do over on the Overham Network if you want to hear me talk about super nerdy shit. But she's been in a TV show recently. We do recommendations over on there that I recommended this week. Mm-hmm. And it kind of fits in with the theme of what we do, too. There's this newer show on HBO called Los Spookies. <laughs> and it's a Fred Armisen joint. Oh, that's pretty awesome. And it's about, like, this group of... They're young adults. They're, like, 20s spooky kid Mexican kids okay. like down I think they're not technically supposed to be in Mexico it's just some mm. random Latin American country gotcha. south of America <laughs> gotcha yeah you know what I mean I know what not yeah. any one in particular but it's pretty obvious that they're Mexican yeah <laughs> um, saying it yeah they're all horror fans that form this group where like, they get called for hauntings and shit like that, alien abductions and stuff like that, but not to investigate them. They get called if, like, a hotel is lacking in tourism, and so they need a haunting. Mm, that's funny. I gotcha. I gotcha. That's pretty clever. I like that. And she plays, yeah, and she plays, like, the movie director that inspired, like, the main guy that got Los Spookies together. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I was also reading here, this is really cool, that she uh, appeared in Taxi. Yes, as, I love yeah, Taxi. Simca Gravis, right, the wife of Laka, played by Andy Kaufman, which is really neat. So, yeah, here's another thing that you probably will like as well, is that it was announced that she's going to be joining the season two cast of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Ooh, cool. Yeah, so that's really cool. I haven't checked out Strange New Worlds yet, but it looks like Strange New Worlds... When I watch the trailer, it looks like every episode is basically a Star Trek movie, and the movies were always my favorite part anyway, so. Yeah. All right, um, we've got Jeffrey Jones plays the role of Mayor Lopescu. Oof. I know, oof, that's right. Um, <laughs> Do people remember that he's canceled? I, I don't know, man, I hope so, but, I mean. Because he was never hard canceled because of fucking Ferris Bueller. Yeah, there's a couple You know things. what I mean? It, it's weird, yeah, you could say that, probably, like. Even Beetlejuice wouldn't mm-hmm. be one. I mean, he oh was in too many movies that were too seminal for too uh, many people. I know. Why? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's just the way it goes sometimes. It's unfortunate. Another one, too, talking about comic books and things of that nature. Howard the Duck, the movie. Mm. He was a dark overlord. How about Who's Harry Crumb? 
Hunt for Red October. I was about to say Hunt for Red October. Mom and Dad Save the World is another one I remember watching he was in. That was Advocate. One of my favoriteest movies ever, The Pest. Oh, dude, what about Ravenous? We talked about him way oh, back when. Right? He's Colonel Hart. Yeah, he was in Sleepy Hollow. How die? Yeah, that is true. Oh, fuck me. That sucks. Yeah, in television, he's been in a ton of stuff. Tales from the Crypt episode, Twilight Zone episode. He was in an episode of Batman, the animated series, stuff like that. Look, it's just, it's unfortunate, man, but shit happens. All right. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay it either. <laughs> All right, we have John Minor plays the role of Radu. Actually, a guy we talked about way back on episode 88. He was in Wishmaster, if you can believe that. The, who was he in Wishmaster? Ah, uh, honestly, I can't remember. I really can't remember. Doug Clegg. That name doesn't ring yeah, any bells. Yeah, it's not ringing so, a bell. Yeah. We got a ways to go. <laughs> we revisit that one. All right. We've got the Ant and the Aardvark shorts that he was a part of from 1969 through 71. He did a lot of voice acting in that. He also had his own comedy hour. It was called John Biner's Comedy Hour from 1972. And he was also a part of Friday the 13th, the series for an episode back in 1988. All right. We got Gina Davis plays the role of Odette. We did talk about her once again back on episode 271. We reviewed The Fly, a few things of note from Gina Davis. Um, we've already said it before. For me, probably like A League of Their Own is a big one. Beetlejuice, of course. Thelma and Louise, a lot of people know for that. Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, Stuart Little franchise, stuff like that. She was in Grey's Anatomy for a while. She was also part of the Exorcist television series back in 2017, just really cool. We have Michael Richards. What we used to talk about before, Michael Richard. He plays the role of Theos or Theos. Wait, is he still canceled? I, yeah, I know. I'm talking about which, I'm like, wow, this is fucking. Do nuts. people remember that? Well, that wasn't nearly as long ago, but yeah, they should. Well, you know, we were just talking off air or off mic about Paul Mooney, and after that incident with Michael, it stopped or it caused him to stop using or dropping the end bomb. Mm. in his material so coincidentally <laughs> there you go but speaking of Michael he was in Seinfeld of course as Cosmos Kramer Kramer is it Kramer Cosmos or Cosmos Kramer I think it was Cosmos Kramer okay uh, yeah back in 1989 through 98 phew long run alright he was also in the movie UHF he was in Problem Child Airheads he voiced the character in the B movie he also had his own television show back in 2000 called The Michael Richards Show alright we have Donald Gibb no guy we talked about last week a little bit off mic. Uh, he plays the role of the Wolfman in this. Now, most people are going to probably recognize him for a few roles, such as uh, Ogre, right, in the Revenge of the Nerd films. He played it in one, two, and part four, which was a TV movie. Right. We're always going to remember him as Ray Jackson. Oh, dude, from Bloodsport? Yeah. I killed him. I got him. I got him. I killed him. Yeah, Frank. <laughs> like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> All right, yeah. He was also in Meatballs Part 2. He was in the film U.S. Marshals and a TV show I used to watch way back in the day. He came on HBO, coincidentally enough. It's called First and Ten. It was ran from 1984 through 1991. That's a long time ago. All right, we've got Norman Fell, plays the role of Mac Turner. A few films of note from him. He was in the OG Ocean's Eleven. He was also in The Graduate. He was in the film Bullet. Some people probably know him because he was Mr. Roper in Three's Company from 1976 through 1981. He was the landlord. And then they had a spinoff, The Ropers, from 1979 through 1980. We've got Teresa Gansel. She plays the role of Elizabeth Allison. 
few things of note from her. She's actually been in a lot of really cool stuff, actually, believe it or not. She was in The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson as the matinee lady, right, in the Tea Time movie skits. She was also in National Lampoon's Movie Madness. She was in uh, The Toy, which is actually a really good film with uh, Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor. She was in a, an episode of Married with Children, right? She's also done some uh, some stuff with, which actually introduced Jim Carrey. It was called The Duck Factory back in 1984. And uh, just a lot of voice acting for animated shows um, right here, like Cow Chicken, with All Real Monsters, Rugrats, Tom and Jerry Kids, stuff like that. So it's really cool. All right, a few other people of note we've got. We've already mentioned them. Rudy DeLuca plays the role of Lawrence Malbit. We have Inga Appelt. She plays the role of Madame Morovia. And Boshadar Smolianich, he plays the role of Inspector Perchek. And that pretty much rounds out our cast and crew. He gave us a brief setup. Should give some quote-unquote warnings. Warnings. There's a little bit of language that we've already blown past just speaking about this. Yes. Yeah. As per usual, <laughs> but, you know, we warned that anyway. Yeah. There's a couple, like, down low dirty jokes, but nothing is, like, yeah, outright. It's on the sly. It's, yeah, it's pretty on the sly. I mean, kind of some violence. A little bit. But not much. Not really. The, like, the amount that you might see from, like, a fight scene on a sitcom. Not even, like, a normal TV show. Like, Legit, like if somebody gets in a fight on a sitcom, it's about this level. Absolutely, I would agree with that. Quote unquote monsters appear. I mean, there's some cleavage and things like that. Yeah, you don't really see anything. No, 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 no. I'm just saying it's you might get offended. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Gina Davis is in a low cut v neck that's cut down to her navel, basically. Yes, so if that offends you, and <laughs> So that shirt at the end is almost see-through, too. True. But that's about it. Bazongas. <laughs> bazonkers. We'll get there. <laughs> but, I mean, we didn't have to warn you. <laughs> there are bazonkers. <laughs> yes. We'll catch up to speed if you don't know what those are. <laughs> like I said, technically, quote-unquote, monsters appear. Right. But it's not in a very scary context. No, no, no. Well, it's ultimately not supposed to be, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, too, but... I like that. That's about it. Right? Like, yeah, I, I can't think so. of much else. As far as warnings go, yeah. Well, I guess with that, let's uh, get into how Transylvania 6500 made a squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, Transylvania 65000. This feels a long time coming because I think this is one that we probably oh. talked about before we ever technically started the show. Yeah, this one has been in our register lexicon for a while. I think at one point early on, we didn't do it because we hadn't covered most of these creatures by themselves yet. That's a good point. Because early on, there was a couple things we avoided. That's why we did our slasher run. We wanted to lay down a history of like, this is what slashers are. This is what we're talking about yeah. as we go forward that we can reference back to. And this, was, I think, was one of those movies where we're like, it's a funny movie. We can't quite do it yet because yeah. we haven't talked about it helps Frankenstein. With... We haven't talked about Mummy. We haven't it talked about exactly. Wolfman. We, have, like we haven't talked about a fucking werewolf yet. It happened. Yeah. And it definitely helps having all of those films in the context of those films, too, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the back of our heads and all the good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think it helps knowing that 
and then going into film like this that's spoofing it in a sense yeah it, it just it helps it, to it know helps what the spoof is coming from right. yeah definitely does otherwise it's like you, you know it's like what's the point I don't I don't get it <laughs> yeah that kind of thing I don't know, just to get into it, I guess, like, for me, this is maybe one of the first horror comedies I really cared about and really, like, understood what it was doing, where it's like, yeah. we're taking Spooping. the, we're taking, like, the Universal Monsters and we're finding a way to have fun with all of them in one movie, mm-hmm. but it's not actually all of them, and have fun. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's kind of the clever thing about this film, too. It's It's lighthearted in that sense, like, it's... The premise itself, you know, there's a Frankenstein monster sighting based off this videotape. Yeah, and then, then the whole premise is while they're there, they quote-unquote start encountering universal monsters throughout the film. But you none know, of them are supposed lot. to exist. Right. So you're exactly. like, what the fuck's going on? Exactly. Because this isn't a movie that's like, oh, Frankenstein exists. It's no. like, from the get-go, Jeff Goldblum's character is like, why the fuck are you sending us on this mission? The whole point right. was he was from a book and from a movie. And that's kind of another clever thing about this film in terms of writing. This is the concept is this is kind of the stuff already that you would read in the tabloids or the, you know, grocery aisle, mm-hmm. you know, shit, checkout stuff. And it's already set up that way, too, because the name of the tabloid they work for is called The Sensation. So we're <laughs> working on sensationalism. So... <laughs> I want to get back to that, but I will say, so to tie in with my, like, I've probably seen this movie upwards of 40 times total in my life. That might be a little bit too high. I was trying to think of it earlier. I definitely watched this movie a lot. We had it on VHS. Nice. But I feel like it was one of those ones we got maybe just a, like a year before we started to more heavily transition to using DVD more often, in which case I was watching DVDs just for the pure novelty of watching DVDs at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I watched it a ton, but it was in a very short time period before I started watching a bunch of other things a ton. So even though I probably watched it, I don't know, 20 times in that first year I had it, I probably then didn't see it again for about 10 years. But I have probably watched it three or four times total in probably the past eight years alone. Just because every once in a while I'll be like, oh, I wonder if that's streaming on something. And I'll find wherever it's streaming and throw it on. But I usually don't pay much attention to it. Yeah, I see what you mean. It's it's nice to have in the background. Mm -hmm. Totally understand that. And to just sort of have the weird little part of that feeling again, yeah, like that nostalgia I, I, and be like, I've seen this a bunch of times. Totally I can throw this it. on. It's going to give me that warm, fuzzy feeling. Yeah. And that's nice to, to know about, you know, those films that we all connect with on all those different levels, you know, nostalgic mm-hmm. and just foundational, et cetera. Yeah, this one, I don't, I don't quite have that. Like, I do remember growing up, you know, being a product of the 80s, and this was on a good bit on HBO and whatnot. So I think about the films that do like stick out. I'm not, I'm not going to give you a laundry list. That's beside the point. But the ones that stick out and the ones that are more like they remind you of how you felt more mm-hmm. so than like your recollection of the film itself. That's I start thinking about films like these. Like I remember how it made me feel, but I don't remember the context of the film. I quite remember it now. Yeah. You know, so for me, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. So I don't have quite that. But it's still one that I remember seeing quite a bit as a kid. 
But I, the other thing, though, that sticks out for this when I was trying to think back of when I was watching it is a lot of the other times when I've brought up horror comedies I watched as a kid, I've usually brought up, oh, I watched it with this group of friends. Oh, I watched it with that group of friends. Oh, this yeah. person introduced me to it. That one did. This was kind of the weird one that was like just me. Yeah, those are special. And even, and even when I tried to introduce my other friends to it, like they didn't care as much. Because, like, they weren't like me that had sat there and read all of these books, yeah, too. And, like, exactly. and had already started to get into reading about adaptations to cinema of, like, literature and horror literature, especially, and shit like that. Where I was like, oh, no, like, because this is from this. Don't you get it? Like, oh, yeah. it, this guy's supposed to be Igor. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I kind of know. And I'm like, yeah, but isn't it cool how it's all melded together? And exactly. like, <laughs> No, exactly. You got the, you got the whole picture. You you got what they were going after in the film. Mm -hmm. Plus, it also led to me having, well, the obvious crush on Gina Davis because she's the sexy vamp of this movie. Yeah, I was like, you know, that's, that's an easy sell. But legit, for me, back as a kid and now still upon rewatch, like, Carol Kane's a fucking snack in this movie. She, she really is. <laughs> it's funny, in a sense, thinking, you know, in those terms, like... Yeah, no, she's she's like a gal that in her portrayal of of some of the characters I remember her as, I was like, that's actually not a, a bad person to have in your corner. No, <laughs> you know what I mean. It's like um, there's there's quite a few people who could probably take a page out of that book, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, I agree. I agree. She was ripe in this role. She did a good job. And I mean, it's three seconds of the movie, but considering my age at the time and what you see of her. <laughs> The mummy at the end. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> understandably so. I was a young man. Right. And yeah. easily fixated upon things. I, I, can, I can understand that. I grew up <laughs> with cable, I get it. <laughs> I get it. But I, as soon as this started, I started laughing because I was just, I immediately remembered just how fucking cheesy this opening of this fucking movie is, dude. Yeah. How bad of is, acting is that? I, I like that because it is schlocky and it knows that, but it plays into like the whole sensationalism thing. It's like, mm -hmm. this seems so over the top already. Like, all right, <laughs> what's going on? But it sets up the whole premise, and I think that's what makes it fun too. It's like, it's already in, um, kind of an unbelievable story to begin with. Yeah, these dudes are out hanging out in Transylvania and he's like, like we find this old place and the door's locked. Somebody's holding, close the door, smash through. He gets grabbed by a Frankenstein. I you don't actually guy, see it. Give him credit for holding that damn screen. Did. <laughs> that dude was acting in Jafar. Yeah, he was. I was like, this is right out of it. I loved it. Loved it. <laughs> it was good. <laughs> and then that, that sets up, turns out it's a videotape. That Ed Beakley, right? It was actually uh, his dad, Mac Turner, is the one who got the yeah the tape mm -hmm. and then sold the idea to them. Sold the idea to them. You guys are going to go do yeah. this or you're fired. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got a yes man and a guy who's, of course, wanting to write for more prestigious places like Time Magazine and what have you. So, yeah. Now, I know that there was, like, kind of like you said, a nice little trio of movies with sort of the main three you could argue in this movie. Eh, Gina Davis is arguable. 
as yeah. far as being yeah. main in this movie. Precisely. I mean, she's... She has a big spotlight in her, on her in this movie, but she's not quite main. No, I wouldn't. No, 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 no. No, no, no. She's... She was more like um like a sub character, if you will, mm-hmm. and that's not I mean that's no discredit, but yeah. But honestly, Goldblum and Beagley should work together even more than that. Dude, they were they had a good chemistry. They were really good together. They felt I think that yeah you're right. It felt really natural to watch them act together. I believed in this movie that they were friends that also could have barely stand each other. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty good because that's what their characters are. Jeff Goldblum is openly dismissive of Ed Beagley pretty often, but it works. Like it feels like there's a relationship there where they can be like that. You know, that's a good point. I mean, you see it in various ways, you know, like, like two characters put together as partners, but they are from like two different worlds, if Mm -hmm. you will. So, but it it makes for good storytelling. Well, even later on, it's kind of like what we see from like Dante and Randall. Yeah. They're great friends, but they are very openly dismissive of each other most of the time. Exactly. So, (laughs) you know, you can have those kind of relationships as, as, I I suppose, as long as the end goal is kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's a mutual understanding somewhere. How about that opening credit sequence song, bro? I know. I still think about that. Like... Well, how about like? Well, I mean, it's there's the, there's the Pennsylvania Six yeah. Five Thousand ripoff, but then how oh, about the, 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 the one's a little bit more like eighties? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I was like, yo, this is definitely eighties. I think that the worst part of this movie. Well, first off, that song is horrendous, but in a way that it's pretty amazing. No, I mean, it's still a banger. But <laughs> the really worst good. part of this movie is that they didn't get Weird Al to do the theme. Ah, oh, dude, that would have been really nice. Consider, I mean, UHF, it would have been, I mean, of course, like pre, but still, I, mean, I would imagine there would have been a connection somewhere. Somewhere. It just missed it. Oh, well, it happens. And before we get too far into this, I do want to point out this is the second Transylvania 6 5000. I know, that's interesting, too, thinking that it, this was a, they used the a name. pun, yeah. right, off, off of the song. Because there's a Glenn Miller orchestra right. song. and that's pretty funny within itself that they would just use that as the pun. But, yeah, I mean, it's Bugs Bunny. Have you? I've seen that one. Yeah, it's been a hot minute, but, yeah, I used to watch a lot of those. Where he's up against uh, Count Blood Count, who I don't yeah. think people remember as a character anymore because he's almost universally replaced with uh, Witch Hazel these days. That's another thing, like, going back and watching those old cartoons like that. It's kind of interesting watching that shit. But that was the last Looney Tunes directed by Chuck Jones. That was the last episode directed by oh, Chuck shit. Jones. Damn. Yeah, I mean, when you look at who's on it, you know, Mel Blanc is still doing the voice acting and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's really interesting, but I mean, fucking Glenn Miller did that. I was just like, damn, dude, really? Yeah, really. God, that. You know what? Here's the other thing they commit to that opening sequence with that fucking model train in the snow. I yeah. was so impressed that they didn't just use stock train footage and instead had model shots. They went for it. It works. Not something I think I ever noticed before while watching this movie. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's but having to sit stuff. down and take notes on it, I was like... You start noticing things different. Well, motherfuckers, <laughs> did they actually go... They did model shots for this opening? That's pretty dope. All right. <laughs> All right. God, I kind of love how immediately they're the laughing stocks of the town. Yeah. Thanks to Ed Beagley. <laughs> Silly ass. I mean, 
he has kind of like innocent approach in his character. He's um, trying to do well, you know, like he has no evil intent or anything like mm-hmm. that or ulterior motives and things of that nature. He's just, just there to do a job. Wants to know some, <laughs> if there's any monsters. You know, this could be an episode where I think I just suck off every fucking part of this movie because one of the things I love subtly about that scene is that everybody has a ridiculous laugh. Of course, that's what we were just saying. Like, how many actors in this, their accents are so fucking different. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, and you right. have you have like the the maid or whatever, like the bartender or whatever she was. Right. <laughs> I can't even do that high fucking... <laughs> I know, right? So you have her, you have Jeffrey Jones, who's cracking his, up. His accent's horrible. Dude, his line delivery, though, he's like, what about the creature from the Black Lagoon? No, I mean, he, his <laughs> delivery, and uh, that's the yeah. thing, it's like, he's a good Brilliant. actor. You can't, it's hard to deny that, but if we're just going <laughs> to keep it in frame, it's like, he he delivers. In frame, he kills in this that's movie. That's what I'm saying, yeah. He's really it, good in this it's movie. It's hard to, to really critique that harshly because he, he delivers but yeah um it, it's funny thinking about that like and then you do have people who are, are speaking english who are native like croatians and serbians and what <laughs> what have you and they're the ones whose their accents are truer mm-hmm. to that region than of course the american actors that are portraying that shit so <laughs> but even the ones like that have accents that are obviously off they don't sound out of place. No, 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 no. Because they sound like to, the movies that we've seen anyway. Say, they're trying to spoof the stereotype. Mm-hmm. So if it, it's meant for them to do that. It's not like they're just giving bad performances. Right. No, it's not that. I know better than that. It's just like, that's the funny part about it. It's like, yeah, it's it's bad, but that's the point. Here's So Jeffrey Jones in frame does a great job in this movie. Other person in frame, I forgot how good he is in this movie. Michael Richards' physical comedy in this oh, movie man. is fucking top notch. It's like when I think of his other roles, specifically in UHF and mm-hmm. in Problem Childs, like you can see how those led, you know, or spilled into like it's Kramer, which is in, in retrospect a little bit more tame than these fucking characters yeah. that he portrays. I mean, absolutely. Kramer is a lot more tame than Faos. Oh, good lord, yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, granted, he plays... It's a different kind of off, but... Right, right. <laughs> right but, but you can still see, like, the physical acting and in in this kind of slapstick delivery mm-hmm. and shit like that is there. Something I found out that was really cool is there was called The Incident with he and Andy Kaufman... There was a show called like I think it was called like Friday Friday night like comedies or something like that of that nature. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but their incident was they were doing a skit together and there was a line that Andy Kaufman didn't want to do. Okay. And he voiced his opinion on the show live and he wound up like splashing Michael Richards in the face with water and they got into it. And there were some other actors and actresses on there too but it was it was all staged it came out later on that you know mm. it was a part of a bit but it was actually portrayed in the movie what was it um man, man on the, the moon. moon yeah which is really neat so god it's been a long time Norm since McDonald i watched that plays the part of shit what was you saying of um, michael richards yeah oh shit i gotta rewatch that yeah yeah uh mary lynn wright's cubs in that scene well, there's a couple other people in that scene that were like, oh, shit, that's kind of cool. Oh, uh, going Caroline Ray that. is in, in mm. that scene, which is really cool. I saw that movie in theaters. 
I did too, believe it or not. It, 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 I know we're off on a tangent, but I got to say this. This is fucking hilarious. The person I went and seen it with, when the credits rolled right after the opening like little scene, he thought the movie was over and he got off. I said, sit your dumb ass down. <laughs> Even then, I knew that was like, no, man. There's no way we paid that much money to see a five-minute movie sit your ass down. That movie, I, this is a weird tangent, but fuck it. Like, no, it's okay. We're there I mean, now. It's relevant. It got me into alternative comedy. That's awesome. Because I went to watch that movie in the theaters because I was a Jim Carrey fan. Oh, nice. Yeah, now, I knew sense. who Andy Kaufman was because I did grow up watching Taxi. Like, yeah, but we talked about, like, Nick at Night and all that mm-hmm. stuff. The show Ray, Ray like, Ray I Rons. fucking yeah. love Taxi. Danny DeVito. Danny Christopher Lloyd. Like, how, how can you not love Taxi? That fucking yeah. show is phenomenal. But <laughs> but it, as far as Taxi went, I was a lot more of a Christopher Lloyd fan. Like, Laka was fine, and I knew who Laka Gravis was and right. stuff. But yeah. I didn't think about the fact that there's, like, a whole actor with this giant career that I didn't behind know about it. behind yeah. it. Like... And so I went and watched that movie, and I was just like, this is fucking phenomenal. Like, It's wild, man. Just the fucking Mighty Mouse bit blows my mind and how <laughs> yeah. simple it is and how fucking funny it is. Right, and yeah, it's interesting because all that stuff, like the things that we do and see and create, it's a product of the time period. You can see that with certain comedy. So in, in a sense, it's hard to compare and contrast. You and can, of course, but the taxi thing does tie back in because Carol Kane was in it. That's so. what I'm saying. So yeah. all of this is relevant. Yeah, I mean, Michael Ridges worked with Kaufman who mm-hmm. worked with yeah, Carol Kane, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes sense. But it's still kind of interesting because it all ties in together, um, which I want to bring up something later on because I don't want to get too, mm-hmm. too far off on a tangent. Now, I will say, obviously, this is a, a fucking comedic movie, so we're not going to sit here and explain every joke. No, we've talked about that before, yeah. But were there anything that, is there anything that stood out to you that had you fucking rolling more than other things in this movie? I won't necessarily like, or know, maybe like, not rolling, rolling, right, but right, you know right, what I mean. Right. But stuff still that made me like smile, like Man, it's so silly that it's still funny. I like the whole bit with Jeff Goldblum and Ed Beagley going into the sanitarium. Oh yes, that whole that whole bit from the the time that they tried to go into the time they get out. I'm like that is that is is silly as fuck. But I like that. because There's a lot of little parts of it, but they're yes. all really good. I'm like, it's so clever, and it's silly, but it works, and it's effective, and it makes sense. It's like, Jeff Ed Goldblum. leaning on the fucking. Dude, I'm like, that's so <laughs> fucking funny. It's like, it's it's so stupid that it's it's funny. I like that shit. And the whole point of them trying to get in, he's like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to take this, and then I'm going to tell them that you're trying to break out to get you in, and tell them that you're trying to get in to get you, or, you know, to mm-hmm. get out. So it worked. It worked. <laughs> but it's simple. I could see that scene being done by Gene Wilder and Pryor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like the, the goofy oddball kind of stuff that you would see. Uh, I like And that. it's on. And the other thing is, I, I feel like, like that scene is on that level. Absolutely, man. It certainly is. That's what I'm saying. It, it's effective. And I liked it. So I think that there was another scene. It, it's not funny in terms of, I mean, it, Maybe. But for me, anecdotally, it's funny because, <laughs> because there was a guy, I'm not going to use names, but there's a guy I worked with who, I don't know what happened in his past, but he was a light sleeper and he would get spooked up out of his sleep, mm-hmm. like doing, who is it? Who's there? That kind of shit. <laughs> so when Ed Beakley had his first encounter with Odette, mm. 
And he kind of was doing that shit. I'm like, oh, that is like unlocked a core memory <laughs> of that dude I worked with out of town. That was fucking funny. So, yeah, it reminded me of that. But that was just pure coincidental. I'll tell you what. I think the bit is kind of weird and stupid till this one minute. But when they're first going into the castle and fucking Michael Richards busts out that little puppet. Dude, that shit's kind of silly and funny. That guy I just, like it. It's it's silly and it annoys me up until when he's pulling the puppet back and he fucking punches it in the side <laughs> of the head. <laughs> it's like, he is, he's a fucking wacky guy. But I like it because it's, he's being silly. and he's, he, I think he knows that. You got to go a little over the edge to make these characters... Something else. I always smile at the phone pickup gag. Yeah. He's yelling at the dude. Well, not just the letting the ring go oh. on the on the Pennsylvania 65000. Yeah. And then having him fucking answer it with the Transylvania. It's good. It's Like I said, there's little things that are clever. We were talking a little bit about it, but you can't help but notice, especially if you're familiar with like Mel Brooks films and seeing like, Oh, knowing that DeLuca worked, of course, with Mel Brooks. It's like you can see that influence in terms of the comedy style. It, it fits right at home. Like, I feel if Mel Brooks did it, it would have probably had a bigger production, maybe bigger gags and stuff as far as like the punchlines and whatnot. But this is still clever, man. This is still good. Still brings the goods. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm insulting her, but. Did you get the feeling that it's only Teresa Ganzel because they couldn't afford Goldie Hawn? Uh, perhaps. I mean, she's still a cutie pie, but yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, It feels her, like a very Goldie role. For that time period, too, like, knowing the role she played, oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Probably if they had a bigger budget. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I stuck a pin in something earlier, and I want to get back to it. Thinking about this movie, like having to critically think about this movie, yeah. one of the most absurd things about it is it's basically, it posits a world where the weekly world news actually sent journalists abroad internationally. That, to me, is probably the, uh, the most like That's almost like the biggest about. meta joke in right, this that's, movie. That's what I, it's like, it's hard to quantify that, but yeah, it is. It's like, man, that is... Think about that. Like they're they're literally being sent to Transylvania to write a, a bullshit story, essentially. Yeah, a, a, a story that story. is one hundred percent going to be sensationalized, no matter what they put in, regardless if it's true or not. Regardless, it's going to sell. But just getting what they they did and all that other stuff, and it, I, I like that too because, in a sense, there's another film I I recommend to people all the time. Is it's kind of funny because it, in a sense, it. it rings like certain sentiments like these aren't really monsters <laughs> they're just people who have medical conditions mm -hmm. <laughs> you know but i recommend the movie freaked because mm. it's like it's playing on the whole like um freaks carnival acts and stuff like that it's like they're seen as monsters or this you know these otherworldly or like subhuman kind of stuff it's like no Oh, yeah, maybe we should explain what actually happens in this movie, I know, just so that we're all on the it. same page. Yeah. Like, they go to investigate the shit. They start running into shit. Yeah, coincidentally. So as they investigate it, they find out that there's been this doctor who's been fucking dismissed, and they won't let him talk to him and shit. And through very roundabout means, and kind of by accident after the Frankenstein steals a kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, Quote, unquote. Yeah. 
they basically find out that it's all just like people with different medical conditions that the town is gearing up for visitors and they don't want people who look like quote unquote monsters walking around. Yeah. Exactly. Because they're trying to escape that image of Transylvania. So they want to be more modern. So yeah. they ush, you know, they fucking sweep them all under the rug basically. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And it's only because they swept them under the rug that they're now kind of becoming a problem because now they're basically <laughs> quote unquote acting out. No, and it is like the, um, and the stuff that backfires, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're trying to cover them. Yeah, like you say, you're trying to cover them up so that the outsider doesn't see them. But inadvertently, that's how the outsiders see them or find them. Yeah. Instead of just accepting them as people with problems, right. you've turned them into monsters that are now be- becoming sensationalized. Yeah, I mean, they really are feeding right into the whole hysteria and, you know, mythology behind that stuff. Which, first off... Also ridiculous is that they're being sent to Transylvania to search for Frankenstein and not Dracula. I know that. And and Jeffrey Jones even lampshades that in the very beginning. He's like, we are in Transylvania. Why not look for Dracula? I know. (laughs) But that's, that's one, like I said, one of those things that's clever when they think about the concept of this shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, why would you be searching for Frankenstein? It doesn't make any sense. That's why it's dumb from the get go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, does it make any, that's the whole point. It's like, yeah. But that's why this is a comedy. Mm-hmm. Something I don't think I realized as a kid, when Beagley and Goldblum have their kind of like little fight yeah, in the yeah, park, yeah. Goldblum starts singing Fiddler on the Roof. That's funny. While he's choking him. Like, 25 years, I've washed your clothes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> or 35 years, I'm yeah. just like, wait, I know that. That's funny, man. <laughs> Malavakwa is interesting because he's probably the biggest composite character in this. Yeah. Because he's agree. Jekyll and Hyde yep. and Victor Frankenstein. Yes. Not Frankenstein, Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein. <laughs> Considering last week, yeah. <laughs> kind of rolled into one. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Yeah. A match. Which is fun. The Jekyll and Hyde is weird. Yeah, it, it can be a little. They, some of these people they don't explain, right? Yeah, like it you, helps if you yeah if you have the background. Yeah, it definitely does. Once you realize that it's all people with problems, you can sort of explain it away. But like they don't actually explain, Twisto. Yeah, that one's a little different. They never outright give Odette's diagnosis. No. Like they do with Hunyadi and like they do with Talbot. Like they bring different things up at different times. We know that she's a nymphomaniac. Right. And that that's kind of the point. It's like, at I guess at one time it was more classified as like a female condition. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's not classified as actually like, a, I don't know. There's different, I guess, like classifications for whatever mental health conditions and what have you. But it's not listed as one. She's a nymphomaniac with body dysmorphia issues who thinks she's ugly and dresses like a vampire to get attention. Right. So you could say that's, yeah, she has, I would say more like that, body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. Talbot, the wolf man, just has hypertrichinosis or whatever. It just makes him super hairy. Yeah, it's like, well, and they do a really good job with his makeup because if you've ever seen, like, the real life wolf people. Oh, yeah. That's what they look like. Absolutely. I, wolf people Which, is a very general term. I, I just don't remember no, the exact I, I name of the condition. Yeah. But 
No, I've seen talk shows mm-hmm. and stuff like that where, you know, people with the condition have been on there and, and talked about it and what have you. Hunyadi looks like Frankenstein because the fucking the mayor and the, the sergeant or the police inspector are pocketing all the money. Yeah. So the doctor couldn't reconstruct him well. Whoops. <laughs> Who else? Oh, the mummy yeah. was just being basically she kept dipped in the ugly pond. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Michael Richards face. Dude. Yeah. yeah he's that being was, goofy. That was good. But it's just a chick that got extensive plastic surgery. That's all it was. And some bazonkers. <laughs> bazonkers. That's so funny. It's silly. I man. am so content. I never thought I'd get a bazonkers. Now, Radu and Loopy are the weird one. Considering, I mean, yeah, we get that they're supposed to be like the, uh, so the Igor, sp- Igor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're supposed to be hunchbacks, but they don't have a hunch. No. Neither of them have a hunch. No. They're just always stooped over. They're buying into the whole, like, master servant. And that's the thing. They're... There are a couple that are both masochists. Yeah. (laughs) Funny. Their whole employment is kind of them getting off. They do. I think so. Loopy's the one that makes that most apparent. Yeah, she's the more exaggerated version of it, Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. Also, some of the most brilliant bits in the movie, though. Did you read about how them preparing lunch... Wasn't it was just a lot of stuff was just improvised. That scene, that whole scene with them in the kitchen, in the script was Radu and Loopy prepare lunch. Yeah, and everything else in between was just that's all them. That's I, I like that freedom to for them to be able to do that because I would imagine, especially with those two. I was say, yeah, they have that background, so it would, it would make sense. It's just let them organically, if you will, let them do what they do. Given Goldblum's facial expressions during some of the scenes, I kind of wonder how often they just let Michael Richards do his own thing, too. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> there's times where it looks like he's over it and just waiting for it to end, but, like, really? And there's so other insane. times where he keeps looking over, like, is Beagley going to break? Because... I could imagine it was a lot of fun shooting. I mean, it was like a 30-day schedule, so, you know, you only have X amount of weeks that you can shoot in but regardless i would imagine it was a lot of fun and a lot of chuckling going on on set but yeah but then it's weird that they could just stand up straight the entire time yeah when they brought and the, the, the kid the, the, the fact that the kid walks like that is the weird part i think yeah of course we do know that. i think it's it's all an exaggeration mm-hmm. of course and we get it but yeah but i also love his speech at that point yeah no, when he's sense. like no fuck you you it's, just it's, crossed the line. There's there's a heartwarming element to it, which is surprising. I want, not to a large degree, but to an extent, I think it's kind of, it's nice. It's a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. Man, in a weird way, this is kind of just like the campier universal version of Nightbreed. Mm. I think you could say that for sure. Yeah. Where it's like the monsters aren't really monsters. Man, in a sense, it does feel... I mean, when I think about like a live-action Looney Tunes kind of stuff, it feels like that a little bit. And on, and it's not even one of those, like, the real monsters were people no. all along. Like, the mayor and the inspector were shitty for what they did, but they weren't monsters. No, they're just they're fucking not. shitty. Yeah, they're, they're shady, but they're... Yeah, exactly. It's not the worst we'll ever see ever. No. That's w- without a doubt. It's still fun, man. I, I think that's... To me, that was the clever bit in this film, more so than 
all the gags, which I still love those gags, is like you were just saying, like these these people are not monsters. They're just misconstrued because of the medical conditions. And the outsiders would sensationalize it because it's feeding into the whole myth of Transylvania in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I like that. It's a whole, like, you know, chasing your tail kind of thing. Now I'm going to go off on a little history tangent. No, like I'm going to I'm going to warn people ahead of time because it's weird for a horror comedy to to be able to spark this in me. But this is one of those ones where I wonder if somebody on the writing staff was a little bit more clever or had done a little bit more reading than the average person would look into. And I say that, and here's the thing, I don't know this, it might just be a common name in that area of the world, and that might be why they picked it. But they were called to investigate because of the Frankenstein. You find out Frankenstein is actually John Hunyadi. Is it John Hunyadi? Did they say his full name? Hold on, I've got a... Kurt Hunyadi. Kurt, okay, okay. That makes more sense. So... Normally, we think of Transylvania, we think Romania, Wallachia region, we think of Dracula. Eastern Europe. Uh, Obviously, uh, inspired by Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler, uh, Voivod of Wallachia from like 1450-something. through. Anyway, he had two different rules. I don't remember the exact years on them. Uh, Voivod is closest to being what you would think of as a duke. It's sometimes translated as prince, which I think throws people off because it is the equivalent of prince, but it's the equivalent of prince in countries where prince doesn't mean the son of the king. Yeah, there's a different hierarchy system to it, I guess, with titles. and. Mm-hmm. John Hunyadi was a contemporary of Vlad Tepes mm. and was known as the White Knight of Wallachia. That's interesting. In fact, I, th- I feel like I mentioned it on this podcast the last time it happened, which would have been like four or five years ago. But the last time there was a giant story of like Dracula's castle up for sale, like going around in the media. I can't remember which castle it was. That particular castle had very tenuous ties to Vlad, but was actually one of Hunyadi's castles, which makes it just as interesting for a history buff. I think so. But just not for the average person. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, because they're just sold on the idea of, of Vlad, mm-hmm. the Impaler, etc. Now, he, here's where it actually gets even more interesting. John Hunyadi, his kid, his name is Matthias Corvinus, and he ended up becoming King of Hungary. Actually, it's a weird thing because uh, Hunyadi's considered these days to be like a Hungarian hero, though because of the differences of borders over time and how much a lot of that history and nobility and the noble families were all intertwined in that region. Yeah. During the time period, he was actually considered more of a Romanian hero. Mm. And it's kind of been over time he's become more of a Hungarian hero, although they're both very much correct. You know what I mean? Right, because geopolitically, like, how many times that stuff changes hands over hundreds of years? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like the history of the United States. You're talking shit. What, from, who knows how long, dude? I've I've looked a little bit in the European history. It It goes way back. So... 
one of the times we talked about Dracula, I went into some of like the historical Dracula stuff in his early life. I'm not going to talk about that right now. <laughs> yeah. But as he was actually coming into his reign, as I remember it, I think I'm going to be slightly off on this, but his first chance at becoming Voivod of Wallachia, because it wasn't an automatic succession. It's one of those things like you're part of this family, so the nobles will decide from either you or your cousin who's also part of the family or this other person who also holds the same title rank as you. Right, so like you said, it's not a shoe-in. Yeah, it's not a shoe-in. The first time he be, had a chance at becoming Voivod was when Hunyadi, who had become governor-regent of Hungary, actually... So he used Hungary to sort of invade Wallachia, and during that time... Vlad was the second son and wasn't supposed to inherit or wasn't supposed to be up for the voivodeship, basically. But during that invasion, his older brother and his dad were killed. So that's what opens up the voivodeship. Hunyadi, though, who was waging that campaign and was successful in it, installed Vlad's cousin as the voivod, Vladislav II. He did that because him and Vladislav were homeboys and they were going to use Wallachia as the jump-off point to attack the Ottoman Turks. So basically he installs Vladislav and like a month later they both jet out of there. Vlad's kind of pissed off that he didn't even have a chance at it because Hunyadi comes through and installs his cousin because he had spent part of his younger life with the Ottoman Turks as part of a different political deal, still had some allies over there. And so he actually decided to team up with them to attack Wallachia to install himself again as Voivod while Vladislav had left. That's wild, isn't it? (laughs) Damn. (laughs) And his deal with Ottomans was like, he was still against the Ottomans, Because of his connections with their court, he was able to to achieve a different level of diplomacy with them and basically told them, like, if you reinstall me as Voivod, then you guys can have this foothold over on this side of the river and take this particular fort, basically. You guys don't get to take everything, but we're going to reopen up negotiations, and as a show of good faith, you guys get this fort on our side of the river. They get there, and Vladislav comes back with his force, and fucking Vlad has to jet out. Like, other things happen. At, at a certain point, Hunyadi actually is homies with Vlad again, instead of Vladislav, yeah. uh, a few years later. And it's actually not too much later that I think he dies. What's funny is that Hunyadi's son is Matthias Corvinus, who later becomes king of Hungary. It's Matthias Corvinus that was the one that threw Vlad into prison, where we get all the prison stories of him impaling fucking rats and stuff on his windowsill. That's wild. Gotcha. Corvinus, I'm not positive on this, is where they get the name for the family in the Underworld series that all the immortals came from. That is really neat. That's cool. So... You've got 
some really interesting historical context and how fiction can insert themselves and extract, if you will, these really cool stories based off of that. Other funny thing, Corvinus, Hunyadi, and Vlad all considered national heroes, even though they often worked against each other. It's just because when they weren't working against each other, they were all working against the Ottoman Turks. Right. And that probably for that region was the more important part. Mm -hmm. Everything else is just like politics as usual, I suppose. It's like, yeah, of course they're doing all these fucking backroom deals on each other. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't they? There's a lot at stake here, I would imagine. And we're talking completely different times as well. Yeah. This Historically, is, this just, is late 1400s. I mean, that's like, I, don't, I couldn't imagine what that was like. Right. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that was, you know, that was a part of their life and livelihood. So it's wild, man. But that, that's the point, too. I think that's interesting is when you think about those regions, <laughs> historically, like you're saying, and how over the time, how much that stuff changes and like national identities change because there's so many different groups of people who've been in and out of those places are displaced and there's a lot mm-hmm. of shuffling going on. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, man. It gives a little bit more, like I said, a little bit more context of why there are certain sentiments. I just think it's, it's weird. Cause most people think like Dracula's right, the draw, broad, right? Dracula's the draw. No, he was actually kind of a minor power player. Like I said, he was only considered the equivalent of a Duke. Yeah. He had power over Wallachia. Yeah. And that's, about it yeah it's it's interesting to think how things can be exaggerated to an extent when you romanticize ideas of mm-hmm. I, you know what what this person might have been you know but who knows for sure i mean especially when you weren't around to experience that person there was something else interesting like with corvinus too but i can't remember and like how him and vlad interacted but, but what i remember use... for sure is that he was the one that like I can't remember exactly what happened. I think I think it was at the end of Vlad's second rule. He ended up waging war with the Ottoman Empire again, and it was kind of foolhardy, and when he was getting his ass kicked, he went to go ask uh, Corvinus for help, who was king of Hungary but was in Transylvania at the time. So, once again, Transylvania 65,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when he went to ask Corvinus for help... Corvinus had himself already made a deal with the Ottomans, and that's why he like Vlad shows up and just immediately gets imprisoned instead. Yeah, there was already a deal in place. And then it was like 13 years later or something. Like he was in prison for a long ass time by Corvinus. And maybe not 13 years, but like any any amount of time back then, especially goddamn. Minimum five years. I'm gonna say um at most 13 years. Because I listen again, I can't remember the exact That's dates. Okay. Like Stephen II convinced Corvinus to let him out, and he's like, "I'm going to go fight the Turks." And this dude's always been really good at it, so can I have him? Yeah. And it was while fighting for Stephen II and never regaining the Voivodeship ship that uh, he ended up dying in battle. Gotcha. Just out there on the battlefield, man, doing what he did. There's some legends that he might have been killed by his own forces when he disguised himself to go get some in like mm. re- reconnaissance behind enemy lines. And as he, he was coming back over, he was mistaken, but I don't know. There's also legends that he just fell in a battle 
like a, just an outright battle around this church. So like that that's a, that's what I was gonna add too. It's like it's hard to know really within a certain time frame that that person lived in what what is and what isn't you know the truth if you will. Well, and especially like historians don't even know who his mom for sure was so like yeah or like what year he was for sure born right i would imagine the uh record keeping was a little different back then too you know what i mean yeah so <laughs> probably you know barely existed if at all yeah what they know is he was the second of vlad dracul the set vlad dracul's uh legitimate sons you know and, and on another little side nugget since you're we're in this realm is that to, i think for me is because of the francis ford cope was you know dracula it really got me into like the universal side of stuff too, because back in red, you know, Bram Stoker's and then started reading the mummy Frankenstein, mm -hmm. you know, there was like kids versions or like adolescent versions of those stories. So, you know, that piqued my curiosity. But once again, like I said, they might've just chose it because Hunyadi might be like Smith and hungry. I don't but, know, but I don't know if not, that's still, that's cool how that all ties together. And then, like I said, you get the Corvinus connection that I think Underworld uses later. That is really neat. <laughs> I like that. So I, I'm wondering, too, like the Malavakia. If, if that, Malavakia is a, a name yeah, from somewhere? I would imagine it probably is, but I don't know that. Well, I did notice that the werewolf was Larry Malbit instead of Larry Talbot, which was in The Wolfman. Yeah. That's clever, too. <laughs> you know what I kind of liked towards the end of this? And I don't know if it's proper to treat people with uh, all these different conditions like this. So hopefully people don't hate me for saying this. <laughs> but I kind of liked the fact that the crazed out doctor kind of gave them a little bit of an admonishment for like, you guys are scared. And I get that because of how society treats you. But fucking look at yourselves. Yeah. No wonder they're scared of you. You're going to have to accept that. Like, it might not be right. Right, but right, right, right. It's like if you set your feelings aside, if you will, right, and just look at it from an outside perspective, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's going to it's gonna make people question certain things or, you know, view you in a certain light. If fucking is right, but that's if somebody who looks like a wolf man jumps out of the fucking bushes at you, dude. Are you fucking kidding me? Or like Ed Beagley, I will say it's it's funny and horrifying in the same sense, like how he happened upon Hunyadi because mm -hmm. he's still thinking it's the monster. <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of stuff. It could be really, really quickly mistaken for something that does it's fictional. But yeah, when he when he's going at Twisto and he's like, "Why did you grab him by the fucking dick?" Yeah. It's like he stepped on me. He stepped on me. He's, what the fuck are you doing down there, bro? Yeah, what were you doing in the water in the first place, weirdo? <laughs> Taking a dip, <laughs> I guess. Or, or he like gets that fucking gets on the Wolfman. Like, why did you do this? He's like, "You scared me." He's like, "He fucking scared you." <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> no, it's. But that's the silliness of it, the cleverness of it. It's. It's the whole point. It's, it's an exaggeration. What was Wolfman doing in those bushes? Was he fucking jerking it in those bushes probably. or something? He probably was. Like, <laughs> I can get my, my nut in. I need some clarity. Wolfman need clarity too. Because <laughs> <laughs> they never explained that bit of it. No, no, they He's don't. just like, I was, no, I was in the bushes and he scared me. What the <laughs> fuck were you in the bushes making those noises for? That is so funny, dude. I like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's silly. It's like, why is Twisto hanging out 
underwater. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But that's probably the whole point. It's not supposed to make sense. That's why it's that's why we did it. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> I like it. I like that kind of stuff. It's silly, man. It's it's funny. I do kind of wish they would have made him the creature from the Black Lagoon, though, instead. Yeah. It, it would make a lot more sense if they leaned into that kind of, but... But they probably couldn't uh, explain that by normal science. That's a Or even dumb too. science, like the doctor's weird walking into his yeah. lab and makes him weirdly bipolar thing. Or almost closer to, like, a dissociative identity, but... Something akin to that, but... Yeah, I don't know exactly, but... That would make more sense. Yeah, I don't know, man. I fucking dig this movie, though. No, I think it's a fun watch. You know, thinking to... Think about the film in terms of um, the time period, once again, it came out in. The people, I think, that that worked on this and the, the humor side of it, trying to think of it from that slant. Like, it's it's not a serious film. <laughs> How could you view this as a serious film when it's spoofing the idea of Universal Monsters in the first place? We've already been talking about this. And that's what I appreciate about it. It's like, you can't be critical of that because it's not taking itself serious. So why are you taking it serious? Or why would we take it serious? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that would defeat the whole purpose of this film in the first place. So that's why I look at it in that sense. It's like, yeah, it's silly. That's the whole point. It knows it's silly. (laughs) It knows it's silly. It manages to blend a few different types of comedy. It really does. And I, I appreciate that. There's some adult humor. There's slapstick stuff going on. There's historical mm-hmm. comedy going on, too. I mean, it's it's clever, man. Parts of it feel like sketch routines because of where some of these actors came from. And yeah, we talked about... How they're being allowed to play, like... Yeah, they're allowed to do some improvisation, which, you know, for characters who are more or less just kind of... They can be... I mean, they're already shticky as it is, you know what I mean? It's just like hunchback, but... They give the, a life to a character that could be very stilted otherwise, probably. And mm-hmm. then the humor wouldn't land quite as well. Like having Michael Richards do what he did, somebody else in that role probably wouldn't give the same performance. I, I would not imagine. No. I honestly feel like this movie is worth watching just for John Biner and yeah. Carol Kane's performances. Yeah, they were perfect in that role, or in their roles together. If you like that style comedy. I do. I, I then, definitely did. Then this is I mean, this is almost like a completionist thing. Like that's one of my notes. Is like they play the the zany couple, if you will. Yeah, and it's they're fucking perfect. I agree. Uh, something I found out. This is really interesting. This is something I want to before I sign off. I suppose is reading about Rudy DeLuca. He had a partnership. I thought this was really cool. That went outside of movie making. He actually was in partnership with somebody. This guy named Sammy Shore. They opened up the Comedy Store in 1972. Now, who is Sammy Shore? He is the father of Polly Shore. His mom, Mitzi Shore, wound up taking over. She became the owner of the club. And that's where a lot of famous Mm -hmm. comedians got their breaks. I mean, you can look at the list. Jim Carrey being one. Robin Williams being one. Eddie Murphy. Rodney Dangerfield. David Letterman. I mean, these are some big names. And... There continue to be big names that have been through there. So historically, that's kind of cool to know that he and uh, Sammy Shore were the ones who, the co-founders of the, the comedy store. It's kind of a big deal in, in stand-up, especially in stand-up. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Yeah, I had no idea. But uh, yeah, another thing too is like, how the fuck did Dow Chemical Company 
get involved with this. So apparently they had some assets frozen and the only way they could use their assets was to invest it back into, at that time, Yugoslavian. Oh. You know, so they were like, well, hell, they're already filming this film here. So we're going to invest in it. Okay. And that's what they did. And so I would imagine they probably got a little bit kickback in returns because they made a profit. Right. So. Weird. Wild. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, there's also little interesting little bits of, you know, these connections and all this other stuff. But like I said, I, I really enjoy it in terms of what we've already said. It's it's a clever comedy that for me, it feels like a Mel Brooks light in a sense. You know, it's like precursor to um, kind of like the Dead and Loving It and Men in Tights and that, those mm-hmm. kind of films. You know, it's it to me, it's like the precursor for those films that kind of took off after it. I agree. I agree. This feels very much in those vein, in that vein, just kind of a beta version. Right, right, right. It, it, but it's still good. Like, it feels at home in those. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to, I guess, follow a certain timeline of those films. In some ways, I'm almost glad this wasn't as polished as those because I feel like... Oh, Some yeah. of the more absurd away. jokes would come more to the forefront and take away from the not quite parody aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. It's like you don't want too much studio interference. And I'm fairly, fairly sure they, there wasn't in this one, considering they were also shooting overseas. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there was probably a little bit more freedom in that, especially the time period, too, 84, right. 85. Yeah. I think that's all I got. Oh, one other thing. I want oh, to yeah. This is kind of interesting. This is kind of wild. Is initially Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari were thought of for the roles of the oh. Ed Lee and yeah, Jeff Goldblum because they worked on Buzz and Buddies. But apparently one of the guys, um, one of the producers like didn't know who Tom Hanks was. It's like, why would we cast him? Well, and I know, oh, Paul Reiser was also considered for the Goldblum role. Yeah, so they, they turned him down for the same reason. Because it's like, who's Paul Reiser? But, you know... Reiser wouldn't have been bad. No, I like Paul Reiser. He's actually a really good actor. And But as much as I like Hanks and Scolari, yeah, I, I don't no. like them in this movie. Hands down, Jeff Goldblum and Beagley. But I think that was perfect casting. Mm-hmm. It's not the same with the other people in this role. I mean, the comedy would be there, but it, it, I don't think it would be as good, especially for this time period as right. well. I agree. I very much agree. Yeah, I'm done for the, for this one. No, though. man, I, I enjoyed it, dude. It was fun. It's still a continuation of a theme that we're on. The last continuation, uh, crossover with General Nerdery, because we're making it nice and light. We're kicking it back. We're doing a little bit of stuff that we love, but <laughs> yeah. a little bit of stuff that we all grew up with. We're going to check out Rob Zombie's The Monsters, um, probably a little bit of the TV show, and probably talk a little bit about both of them. I think it's going to be fun regardless. I'm really looking forward to it just to see what he did with it. Yeah. I don't want to get into it too much yet because we're going to do a whole episode about it, okay. but it's wild because I've been seeing both 10-star and 0-star <laughs> reviews citing the exact same reasons. You know... Here's something interesting about that, because this ties back into comedy in a sense. It's like, you know, if it's a good comedian in that sense, if you're split in the room, Mm -hmm. you know, and in this case, if it's split in the room, then chance of raising is probably decent. There's very few movies I feel (laughs) like that I see the exact same reasons mentioned as being why it's so good and why it's so bad. 
it's polarizing for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. So I'm just excited to check it out. I know that we've talked about it at least a little bit here and there ever since it was announced. And I'm more just super happy for Rob. Yeah, likewise. Considering, yeah, the history he has. And I'm not sure exactly how we're going to cover it yet being a crossover, but we're going to talk about it and figure it out over the next week. And that's what's going to be next week before we lead into Babadook. Dude, I know. Where it's suddenly going to be way down from the happy fun times we've been having. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we've been riding this high for a bit. But that's that's all next time. For this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. Hi, everybody. Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top, as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, peace. <laughs>